Everyone loves a story. One of the reasons Never Ever Give Up Hope is so popular is because of the real life stories. Sam Thiara not only has mastered the art of storytelling, but he has done two TED Talks on the same on this subject. And he is going to show us how to discover the extraordinary in the ordinary. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Grant. Sam Fiera is a speaker, storyteller, writer, educator, mentor, coach, entrepreneur, problem solver, and community activator. He teaches at the Beattie School of Business. He is a founder and chief motivating officer at Ignite the Dream Coaching and Consulting. He engages individuals in personal and professional development. He has worked with more than 45 nonprofits and organizations on alignment. He's an expert in career coaching and has helped over 5,000 15 to 40 year olds. Welcome, Sam. Uh, thank you, Carol. I appreciate the opportunity to share, and hopefully, there are some insights and nuggets that you're listeners will be able to take away there will be because the quotes that you sent me uh, definitely are motivating and challenging and inspiring so you covered the bases and so this is what we're looking forward to today now my first question to you is when you graduated university you had a dream i think that's most of us but after 86 rejections from potential employers, what was your emotional state? Tell us about that journey, please. And it certainly was a journey because I think that we have, as you said, these dreams and these thoughts. And we graduate, for example, from a post-secondary institution. And yeah, there's this idea that, hey, I graduated with a degree in business and political science. Who's lucky to get me? Well, upon graduation, and I walked across the stage, and I and, and this virtual door slammed behind me after I crossed the stage because everything familiar was behind me. And I sat down and I started thinking, okay, I'm going to start applying for jobs. And back then, you had to type or write letters and hand deliver them or pop them in the mail. So I did 12. And next thing you know, two weeks later, a letter arrived. It was from one of the companies. I opened it up and it said, sorry, we don't have a job for you. Good luck in your search. I was like, okay, 
not a problem. Hey, I've got 11 letters out there, but you know what? I'm, I'm going to send three more out today. So it seemed like it was the tide. The more letters I, saw, I, I sent out, the more letters seemed to be coming back. And it turned out that there were 86 letters that I received, wow. 86 wow. rejections. And it suddenly shifted from who's lucky to get me to am I lucky to get a job? Uh-huh. And to, to your point on the emotional side of things, number one, it felt like I suddenly felt like I was not prepared at all. Because in this whole realm, you know, you go forward with this idea of what it, it should be, sort of like what a, a, a movie plays out, and then there's those twists and turns. But I will also share that, you know, every single letter eventually became a nail in my coffin of self-confidence. Hmm. Say that again. Every that- single rejection letter started to become a nail in my coffin of self-confidence. I started losing my self-confidence and this realization that, number one, I was not prepared. Number two, that, you know, in the midst of it all, you're just like, is this even going to materialize into something? And what did I do wrong? And that, those are the three things uh-huh. that I sat with from an emotional standpoint. So what did you come up with? Well, my realization was, okay, I need to be better prepared. And what I always tell people is eventually I did get a job. And eventually, think of it as I have a degree in business and political science. So I got my first job. It's an entry-level government job. And that first job was being a janitor in a hospital, emptying rubbish bins and mopping floors. (laughs) Yep, but it was a government job. But I've got my degree on my wall and people who told me you wasted your time. You don't need a degree for this. But here's the thing. I actually learned three valuable lessons from being a janitor. And those lessons still carry me to who I am today. The first lesson, my father said, it doesn't matter what job you're doing. You have to do the best job possible because your reputation is on the line. There was no floor cleaner than at the end of my shift. Hmm. And there was no rubbish bin left full. The second valuable lesson There were times, not all the time, but there were times that I would get on an elevator with nurses, doctors, administrators, and I was ignored because we have nothing Uh in common. uh I know what it feels like to be ignored. I know what it feels like to be shunned. And I dedicated myself to say, I will never treat people like that. And everybody has something to contribute I'm willing to listen to that person. And the third valuable lesson is that I could have gone forward and looked at this as a negative situation, but I chose to say, what can I learn from what's been provided to me? What life lessons can I learn? And it dawned on me that in anything that we undertake, if we look at it from a much more self-reflective piece, all of a sudden, there's lessons to be learned in anything we do. So, you know, it's about doing the best job possible, number one. Number two, make sure that you don't ignore people. Talk to people. They have stories to share. And the third thing is, in no matter what you do, there are always these deep lessons that are present if you uncover them. 
And what's really interesting is I look at these 86 rejection letters because I still hold them and it, it's actually the size of a brick, probably just as heavy as well. <laughs> and I, I don't know why I kept the letters, but I reflect on those letters and I know there were two things. Number one, if one of those letters would have materialized, do you realize I would not be here with you today? Because right. my life would have, yep, That's I would right. have gone in a different trajectory. And equally, many of those companies that I applied for back then no longer exist. I still do. Hmm. We, are, we are resilient people, but you just have to go forward. This is so interesting because lessons number one and three are lessons my father taught me. Mm -hmm. And lesson number two is something that I share wherever I go. And that is everyone has a story. Totally. And I, as you were talking, the thing that I just really hit me was we have had we have a business mm -hmm. and outside it's a brick and mortar business and outside our business we've had a homeless man who mm -hmm. parked himself there for the last I don't know probably 10 years mm. he makes sure that no one comes during the night he makes sure that the lights are off he calls us if mm. you know something is askew and and we saw him go from a full-blown you know, on the ground alcoholic to completely, totally free of alcoholism and mm. a real benefit to society. And you can't help but wonder, did we have an impact on his life? And so it's, mm. he, it just, you know, we've had him over for dinner many times and we love him like a, like a brother mm. or a son. So as you were talking, I couldn't mm. help but relate and just wanted to share that because don't ever underestimate mm -hmm. anybody and I, I carry on with that if you would please well and I think that it's easy for us to judge it's easy for us to bring our perspectives forward and those things I, I don't carry with me when I when I sit down and talk to people now think about you know you you know I I teach at uh, university and actually have a really great time. I share stories in it and whatnot. But every so often you'll get a student who, you know, comes forward and say, you know, on the one hand, if I was judgmental, I'd say they're just looking for excuses. But instead, what I do is through conversation, through interactions, you realize that there are more things happening in this young person's life than what's on the surface. And rather right. than applying my judgments to what, you know, you're not having the capacity to do this. And yeah, everyone else is, but why are you not? I try to learn about their challenges, their uh, difficulties, but also their successes. And it's just don't judge people. And, you know, it's about empathizing and offering that support and help, uh, as you did, which is a beautiful story, and how this person's life has changed as a result. And Oftentimes what I've said is that, you know, we have a, a way to change the world, not okay. through not through our eyes, but we change the world through the eyes of the people we help. Because if you're present, that person sees the world differently. And okay. much like the person you just spoke about, you've changed the world. Now, maybe not necessarily through your eyes of changing the, the global perspective, but for that person, they see the world differently because of you and your husband's presence, and they now see the world differently. So you have changed the world. 
So share a couple stories with us, please. I had this one gentleman who uh, I met. I was working on one of those nonprofits and uh, helping people with uh, helping. Uh, it, they called it uh, Harvest Project, help, uh, giving a hand up, not a hand out. And these people were individuals who have struggled through employment or challenges. They're new immigrants, can't find work. And I remember that I met these two individuals, a husband and wife, and this was number 11 and 12 of the resumes out of 100 that I had worked on. And we met at a coffee shop. And when we met, the person said, you know, our our world has just collapsed because neither my wife and I are working. I have a 10-year-old daughter. We have a single bachelor unit and she sleeps on the floor. I'm having a hard time providing for my family. Our, our world has just collapsed. We had a long conversation, and equally, I, I, I wound up doing the resume for them. But here's the thing. You never get to see them again. I just drop the resume off. They'll come and pick it up from the building, and you never see them again. Well, five years later, hmm. I was working on another nonprofit, and from a distance, I see this gentleman, and I was like, wait, that looks like so-and-so. And he saw me, and he comes running, and he just <laughs> came and gave me this big hug, and he just said, oh, my gosh, I feel so bad. I should have reached out to you. I should have told you what had happened. He said, after you left, my wife and I sat in the coffee shop and we suddenly realized we were waiting for someone to rescue us. But what you shared with us is providing us the tools to rescue ourselves. Right. And he said, then we move forward using that resume and we wound up getting this contract. And now he was bidding on another contract. And he said, everything has shifted and everything has changed. He said, "My, we've moved. My daughter has her own room. She's doing well in school. He said, and, I, and I, it captured these words that really connected it together for me. He said, Sam, our world has come back together again. Mm. And it suddenly made me realize instead of trying to change the world through my eyes, because that's complicated, that's difficult, that's impossible because of so many factors, so many thoughts and ideas from other people that are counter to yours, it made me realize, change the world through the eyes of the people that you help. Because that person no longer sees the world the way it was. And you don't wanna change it to your perspectives, your ways, you don't wanna impose. Right. You just want to be present to let them change the world for themselves. And it's it's but this is where I, I share a lot of of how we go about doing this. And it also is this profound word of what I call impact, because I met with somebody uh, about a year ago, two years ago, actually. And he was saying that I should get into politics. He says that you could make such a profound impact if you got involved in politics because of who you are, what you do, and all of the things around you. And I looked at him and I said, I think you and I have a different version of impact because you can be in politics and I, I respect anybody who puts their name on a ballot because you will make an impact, but it's, it's a very light impact for the general population. And I said, impact to me is the one-on-one -on -one that I have while I sit down with somebody. And that meaningful time when I'm, I'm present and listening to who they are, what their hopes and dreams are, and supporting them. And I, and I believe in 
the impact that I can create is that one-on-one because then you see where they go on in life. So yes, there is the impact that's more general in nature, but I I really do like that one-on-one. That's so interesting that you say that because I get this lecture regularly from my husband. Mm -hmm. Although I want to impact the Mm -hmm. world, Mm -hmm. he constantly reminds me just one just one and you know as we do the just ones that's where the fulfillment comes the gratification the excitement because you know how you impacted that one person so oh thank you so much have you heard of the starfish story share it the starfish story story is that this person was on a beach and the tide had gone out and there literally was were thousands of these starfish that were just drying up in the sun and this one gentleman, well, the, the, there was a gentleman walking along the beach and saw these starfish and it just was too much. And he sees a person in the distance picking up starfish and throwing it in the water, picking up one, throwing it in the water. And as they approached, the guy said, look, there are literally thousands of these starfish here. And you, you're just picking up one at a time and, you know, there, you possibly can't make a difference. <laughs> well, the gentleman bent down picked up a starfish, threw it in the water and said, well, it made a big difference to that one. Wow. And that's the starfish story. And really, I think what it sounds like is, you know, you and I are both are, are picking up these starfishes and, and putting them back in the water and uh, trying to be present and helping out wherever it's possible and realizing you, you may not change the world, but uh, you are changing other people's worlds for uh, and, and but not in your perspective, but you are changing world. And the story is endless. Mm-hmm. You know, it just goes on. I mean, because that one person, it's like the pay it forward. You remember yes. that from years ago? Same kind of thing. You know, that one person makes such an impact. You've made the impact on their life, etc. And it, it just mushrooms. So thank you for sharing that. Now, the next question I had is regarding obstacles. You made a statement that obstacles are the necessary bricks on our road to success. What made you realize that and expound on that, if you would? I think that many times people fear obstacles. Many fear the uncertainty and ambiguity. It, it removes the, the comfort level. And I remember, I think it was when I was in a corporate job and realizing that I don't know, there was a need for me to change. And I looked at it going, you know, comfort's not always a good word because I stopped growing as an individual. And I focused on it and the uncertainty piece was there and I needed to control my uncertainty and not leave that with anyone else. But obstacles are the necessary bricks on a road to success means that instead of fearing the obstacles, embrace them because In order to succeed, you must be able to observe and see these obstacles because they're the ones that provide you even more learning experiences over your successes. Because anytime you encounter an obstacle, it gets you to think, how can I move forward? How do I solve this problem? And even if let's say that you stumble or tumble, hey, you get back up. You dust yourself off, you learn from the experience, and you move even stronger. So, for example, my son, he, at the time, I think he was like around 10, 
and he wanted to learn how to play chess. I brought out the chess set, told him about all the pieces and the maneuvers and everything, and I deliberately let him win. And he was excited and ecstatic. This is an ex uh, exciting game, an excellent uh, game. Uh -huh. uh, I really enjoy it. Well, then I amped up the heat a little bit. And the next game, you know, pretty much took the game over and, and I beat him. And he was like, I never want to play this game again. I hate this game. <laughs> and I shared with him, I said, okay, this is a demonstration that obstacles are the necessary bricks on your road to success. Because by beating you, what did you learn besides the fact that you now hate this game? What did you learn? And he was like, well, the fact is that, you know, you sometimes have to realize that it's not going it, to, things aren't going to run perfectly, that I need to then adapt and accept that these things are going to help me as I move forward. And the same even applies to his basketball. He's really talented in basketball. But if he's playing a game and he suddenly has a bad game, he internalizes it. And, you know, I remember, well, he's 13 now and they had to play against 14 year olds. And he at, at the end of the game, he sort of basically threw his towel down and he said that was that was terrible. You know, uh, they shouldn't have 14 year olds playing against 13 year olds. We got destroyed. And I said, OK, if you were playing against 12 year olds or 11 year olds, would that have been better? He says, absolutely. I said, OK, but would that have helped your skill development or just your showboating? Uh -huh. And he said, I said, would you gain skills by playing against 11-year-olds? And he said, well, not really. I said, those 14-year-olds are putting pressure and challenges. And as a result of this, you're having to now maneuver. Uh, you're having to pivot. You're having to play a different game against these taller people. And I said, uh -huh. this is a, a real-life example of the obstacles, you need to embrace it and don't fear it. And in fact, the obstacles are going to provide you the even greater lessons to make you into a more solid, better player. He was like, okay, I get it. I get, I got it and I get it. And uh, as a result, you know, he now doesn't fear that. You know, going back to what you said, in the past, in, in the beginning, I'm not going to mislead your audience. I mean, I used to be in that realm where obstacles hit and you're like, why is it so difficult? Why is it so uh, complicated? Why can't things just be much easier? But eventually, and it was really interesting because I found that I did a switch or a, it's almost like a switch flicked because that's what I used to be like when it was what? In other words, I think we're always focused and guided on what we do or what we are doing for our living or what we're studying. But as soon as I flicked the switch to who am I, it suddenly allowed me to say the obstacles are actually those components that make up who I am and that they need to be balanced with the positives and the opportunities. But equally, the obstacles help to make me who I am. And it reinforces the strength of who I am. Wow. <laughs> Uh, there's about a hundred questions in there, <laughs> but what we're going to do is we're going to take a short 15 second break and when we come back, I want you to share what we can and cannot control. We'll be right back. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast paced memoir, Battered Hope. 
She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another. Gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. So let's talk about what we can and cannot control. You, I think this leads right from you last sharing about obstacles. And I loved what you said. And I'm taking notes like crazy as I trust the audiences as well. Share with us what we can and cannot control and possibly the delusion that may mm-hmm. come with that. Right. Well, situations emerge And oftentimes we look at them and all of a sudden it controls the way we act and react. For example, I live in Vancouver and yeah, we get a lot of rain here in Vancouver. Do you know what? No matter how great I am, there's one thing I cannot control and that's the weather. But one thing I can control is how I react to the rain. So, hey, it means I will go out in in my, you know, gumboots and a rain jacket and embrace what's provided to me. I mean, right now in uh, Vancouver or in British Columbia, we have a tremendous amount of wildfires. This is where my mind says, okay, where's the rain Uh uh that so many people don't want? We need it desperately now. But equally at the same time, it's about, you know, those situations that emerge. I mean, for example, right now, both my parents are quite elderly, quite dependent upon care uh, home care. And I'm there on a, on a m- many different levels. I'm there, you know, both physically as well as, you know, mentally for them as well, uh, taking my boys. And, you know, oftentimes that's the best medicine is when they see their grandkids. And, you know, so they've got their needs and they're always, you know, saying, we just need this, we need that. And, you know, I can step in. But the other part is I only have one sibling. And he's a 60-year-old individual, and he's in the advanced stages of Alzheimer's. I'm, I'm just uh, two years younger than him. We grew up together, and this has, you know, penetrated our family. So I've got elderly parents, and I've got a brother who's got Alzheimer's. And, you know, he's, his wife and daughter look after him as well as the caregivers. But, you know, think of it this way. I am pulled into this vortex of, you know, people who are going through very challenging times. But, you know, the reason I can be resilient, I know I can't control my parents' aging, aches and pains, my mom's dementia, my dad's uh, shoulder pains, he's a paraplegic, my brother's Alzheimer. But what I can do is control how I react to this situation, be present. Mm -hmm. So when I go and visit uh, my parents, my mom will say, oh, where are the boys? And I'll say, well, they're in school today. Five minutes, not even five minutes, she'll say, oh, where are the boys? Uh And I don't reply back with, didn't I just tell you they're in school? Good point. Instead, I just say, oh, they're in school. I'll bring them sometime in the evening. Oh, okay. And sure enough, three minutes later, oh, where are the boys? So, you know, I I control how I'm going to react to the situation. I know I you become more self-aware that 
she's not saying it, uh, uh, you know, to be anything else but just the fact that she's got a bit of dementia. That's so right. I, I control how I'm going to react to the situation. Another quick example I'll share is one of the jobs that I had, one of the most amazing jobs I've had in the past is I got to work on the Vancouver Olympic Bid Committee. In other words, to get the Olympic Games to Vancouver, and it was one of the most exciting projects that I've ever had the opportunity to work on and with such a core group of people and many of them I'm still connected to. And I just remember that uh, as a community consultation manager, my job was to share what the games were going to be about, to gain this excitement, interest, but also those who were opposed to share with them why this was really important. And I remember that uh, there was uh, uh, people who were opposed to the Olympics and fair enough, they all had different reasons and I had I respected what they were saying. And I just remember this one instance, we were at a forum of those who were for the Olympics, those against, and those who were working on the Olympic bid. And I just remember there was this one gentleman who was right nearby me and I just sort of looked at him, he looked at me and I stuck my hand out and I said, oh, uh, did you want to join our table? Because it was a forum to, to have different people. And oh, he looked at me and he said, oh, and he just before he put his hand out, I said, and my name's Sam, I work on the Olympic bid committee. And he suddenly pulled his hand away. <laughs> oh, no. And he said, you are evil. And he oh. suddenly started swearing at me in front of everybody just going on and on, but using very foul language and how terrible of a person I was. And, you know, but, and the person who was with me, uh, who we did a lot of our open houses together, started getting really agitated. And what I did was I literally put my hand to my side and out to stop him from saying anything. And I just quietly stood there as he was just this, uh, person was very angry and upset and I have my hand to my on my right hand out to stop the person from saying anything and at a certain point I just turned to him and I said is it really necessary to use this language I want to become better informed on your position it helps me and I hope that just by that fact alone that you would join our table and that we can actually have a meaningful conversation and dialogue and he just suddenly looked around and he suddenly realized that everybody, whether they were for the games or against right. the games, were staring at him. And he suddenly had walked away. And there was a, a huge group of people opposed to the Olympics. And he just sort of went right into the middle of that group. Well, I went to, to got, I, I got a bunch of these brochures and information leaflets and things like that uh, talking about the games. And I walked right into the lion's den amongst all of these people opposed, I found him and I said, you know, I just wanted to share this with you, but here's some meaningful uh, information that I think that may help. It may not change your perspectives, but equally at the same time, it helps to balance and provide this information. But I leave this with you and I, uh, but, and I walked away from that. But here's the thing. He was looking for a reaction. Something right, that, exactly. And, and he wanted a reaction that justified his action. And I pulled that away from him because I didn't, I controlled how I'm going to react to the situation as opposed to just saying, what do you mean? You know, then I could have easily gone in and say, you guys have no idea. And this is what it's about and all of that. And we would be going back and forth. 
but this is where you disable that from an individual because you control the situation as opposed to letting someone else control it. I don't think anybody could have said that better. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I mean, you capsulized in everything in that mm -hmm. statement and our reaction is so important and I thank you, thank you, thank you for that. What do you suggest to mm -hmm. people who have a difficulty in this area? Sure. Anger, of course, being one of them. Right. And and what they can do to change how they react. I'm going to share with you an acronym that I came up with. And I think it's very timely, especially with COVID and how we're slowly emerging, because this acronym I share has a lot to do with what we're just talking about. And I said, right now, there is a huge need for us to care. And what care stands for is collaboration, adaptability, resilience, and empathy. Collaboration is a need for us to realize you're not in this by yourself. We need to work together. Look at the resources and who you are as an individual. What can you support other people with? But also, what can other people support you with? Adaptability is this idea that we're going through a challenging time, but we've always gone through challenging times. How have you been adaptable? How were you doing things pre-COVID, during COVID, after COVID? Or how were you going to do things? Adaptability is this need for us to realize that, you know, being flexible is actually going to be very critical in how we move forward. Resilience taps directly into what uh, we've just talked about, is this idea that this isn't over today or tomorrow, next month. This is a marathon that we're on. How do you build this resilience into your life? And this is where some of that control comes in to say, make that statement to say, I know this is not over today or tomorrow. How do I make this into a marathon and go through it in the best possible light? And the last one, I think, is one of the most important things. Empathy, showing care and compassion to the people around you. So, you know, if you are put in a situation that makes it very, that makes you uncomfortable or difficult. Again, empathy says, why is this person acting this way or reacting this way? Maybe something's wrong in their life. Maybe there's something that, uh, you know, they've encountered. They may not be willing to share it, but empathy is just that understanding piece. And that, I think, care concept helps you to have a little bit more control because you're laying in front of you this foundation of collaboration, adaptability, resilience, and empathy. And, you know, that's how it, it's going to help us emerge. And the fact that you might be able to have a bit more control on how you act and react. I want you to send that to me. I want to share that mm -hmm. with our audience. So we will definitely sure. have that on your show notes. I think it's something that you just said we mm -hmm. ne all need to apply this. And I thank you. We're running... Close to uh, timeline here, and I need you to tell us about your two books, please. Sure. Well, the first book emerged out of my first TEDx on personal storytelling. It's helping people realize and tell their stories. I mean, we're all living stories, but people are afraid to share. And my first TEDx speech was about uh, this concept of CARPE. As you can see, I love acronyms, but CARPE, curiosity, <laughs> appreciation, reflection, perspective, and experience. And again, you can always tap into my TEDx speech on that, and uh, and you'll get the whole emphasis about that. 
And the second book was about my journey to India for the very first time. I was born in England, raised in Canada. My parents come from Fiji Islands and my grandfathers uh, both came from India. And people, I mean, visibly, I, I look like, a, you know, an Indian and people would say, what part of India are you from? And well, I'm like, and actually, I was born in England, raised in Canada. And they're like, no, 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 your parents, what part of India? <laughs> my parents come from Fiji. And then they say, are you Indian? And I'm like, well, my grandfathers are from India. So all I had, and, and it was more of a need to do this journey. All I had was a faded photograph, very little information, and going to India for the very first time where I was a foreigner going to a land that shouldn't be foreign to me. Right. So I wrote this book called Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself. So seeking the past was my search for the ancestral roots. Finding myself was this identity piece and how I was able to capture my own identity. But so many people who have read the book said, oh, my gosh, the way you've described identity has enabled me to say that they've they've said it, it allowed them to capture their identity because we are literally a blend of cultures, flavors, and interactions. And that's what the book really resigns. It, it talks about, you know, finding this ancestral roots and finding oneself as well. Those are the two books. I so appreciate what you shared today. There are so many notes that I took, even for myself personally. And I'm sure the audience is going to love to not just listen to what you have to share once, but we need to listen to this twice. It's so rich. It was excellent, and I really appreciate what you shared. Anything in summary, closing, whatever? The easiest way for me to close this is to say that the signature tagline that I live and that I share with people is, everyone's life is an autobiography. Make yours worth reading. You're a living story. Go out, be great, be excellent. Uh, the obstacles are all part of this journey, but you're a living story that needs to be shared. We are going to say goodbye and thank you again for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.